0: Lord, I just thank you for Corey, I thank you for just the, uh, the identity of Christ that you have just given him and, and given him to share with our youth, our young people, the destiny he's spoken into their lives, and, and just the, um, the impact that he's had on these young people in our church, and I just thank you for the word that you've given him to share this morning, pray for grace, and just bless him, Lord, and bless us as we hear it, in Jesus' name. Could you just do that for the next 45 minutes and then we'll be good to go? My main goal actually was to um, at least get to this point where they took the offering before they mentioned that I was going to be giving the message today. That way you've already given. <laughs> so no matter how bad this is, we're still okay, Byron. Don't worry. Um, about So not quite a month ago, um, I was sitting over you know, in our kind of normal spot at church, letting my mind wander. And when you do that and the Holy Spirit's present, funny things happen. Um, and you know those thoughts that kind of pop into your head, and you're like, I, don't, well, I have no business thinking this. Like, what, like why, where'd that come from? So I was sitting over there, and I was like, oh, I need to get a message ready for church. Wow. And I was like, that's, you know, that's kind of a silly thing to think. But I was like, okay, well, if, I, if that was to happen, what would I talk about? You know, got a couple scriptures came to mind. I was like, okay, all right. They had nothing to do with each other. So I was like, oh, great. That's, that's not as awesome as I was hoping for. <laughs> Um, but I was like, okay, let's work with it. And I was kind of thinking about it, and um, and it was good. And then two days later, I get an email from Byron asking me if I'd come speak at church. So I'm trusting that. Well, and then okay, so Byron asked me. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. He says, okay. And so it wasn't. I don't know if it was really asking. It was kind of like, which Sunday will you come and preach? Is kind of how the email read. So I was like, oh, okay, all right. And then the next Sunday after that, Byron gave part of my message at church. And I was like, oh, is that good or bad? And then the next week, Byron gave part of my message at church. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to not have anything to say. Um, But instead, what I'm doing is I'm taking that as confirmation that the Lord has something that he wants to communicate to you all. And if um, he wants to use a different voice, then the least I can do is be willing to be that voice. There is a little bit of terror that sets in when you get up here. Um so let me just kind of declare this as much for my shaking hands as for anything else that nothing that happens up here today is about me. Um the Lord has something that he would like to accomplish. Um and just for my sake, I don't need to worry about impressing you all or not boring you. Um I'll do my best to not bore you, but um to his glory, right? Um so we're going to set the groundwork for our conversation today. And I figured, you know, introducing myself as a new speaker to y'all, we would start it with some obscure Old Testament verse, because I figure, why not? So we're going to start with um, the book of Micah. Micah is an Old Testament prophet and bringing the word of the Lord to the people. And in um, the, you know how um, Bible publishers are super helpful and they put in headlines over chapters or over portions of the Bible that aren't, weren't in the Bible, but they were like, hey, we'll help you out, and we'll give you a little heading. So this one says, The Indictment of Israel. You know, I was reading this, and this is, <laughs> this is what I get over here, right? Great, Indictment of Israel for my first time speaking at church. Um, and I, I feel like what happens that that's a great title for. Because Mike is about to bring this word to the people of Israel about how they're messing up. See, the people of Israel had this covenant relationship with the Lord. And in the Old Testament, I mean, there are, you know, several key covenants that God makes with his people. And they really function like contracts. Legally binding contracts. I am the Lord. You are my people, right? They introduce the two parties in the contract. They have some stipulations. I will do this for you. You will do this for me. And then they carry out the rest of the terms of the contract. If you don't do these things, this is what will happen. If you do do these things, this is the good that will happen. Right? And so that's the message that Mike is bringing to the people of Israel is you messed up. You're not upholding your part of the contract. You're not fulfilling your terms of the covenant. These are the things that the Lord has done for you. And this is how you're responding. You know, it's funny to me how people who don't understand God get offended by this? Like they, they look at the God as a, how he portrays himself in the Old Testament and they're offended by him. You know, because, well, he did this and he did this other thing and this other thing happened and it was nasty and he's a nasty God, and they don't like God. You know, but it seems super logical to me. Like draw close to the Lord and obey him and good things happen. Draw away from the Lord and bad things happen, right? Doesn't that just seem logical, but people get really offended by that, as were the people in Israel that Mike is talking to, right? And he's talking about, like, you know what, judgment, right, is coming down. The Lord's going to be upset because you're not upholding your part of the covenant, and they start freaking out. They're like, well, what can we do? What can we do? What what, what do you need from us? What do you need from us? And they start offering different stuff up to the Lord. Like, here's what we can bring, Um, and I'm just going to... Pull this up because its I think it's funny. They say, um, what do you want? What do you want? Calves? Like baby calves? We'll bring baby calves off. Or will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? What do you want? 10,000 rivers of oil? Do you want my firstborn son? Like they start reading off all this stuff in it. And you can, you can get the indignation, right? They're like, what do you want from me? Do you want my child? And they're like rending their clothes and they're so upset. And the, the prophet, right? The word of the Lord has this crazy message for him. He's like you know what you're supposed to be doing, right? Like, it's not that really hard to figure out. And he gives him a three-part commandment. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You are supposed to do justice. You are supposed to love mercy. And you are supposed to walk humbly with your God. He's like, you know that. That's what you're supposed to be doing. So do it already. And I think it's funny three-parts. We've talked about this in youth groups, so they kind of got a preview of this. It's, it's funny. It's a funny message to me. Some people take that first part of the commandment and they translate it as just do what's right. But really the weight of the Hebrew is on the disbursement of judgment. I mean, it really is about doing justice. That justice will be upheld. You know, I think justice in its purest form is really getting what you deserve, Good or bad, right? That's justice. You did something and there's a consequence. Right? And you know, the same people who are offended about the God of the Old Testament because they don't understand him are also offended by consequences a lot of times. There is right and there is wrong and there are consequences. Do justice. But then the cra- it gets crazy. This gets crazy. But he says, love mercy. Well, mercy in its purest form is not getting what you deserve right? Like what, what a crazy response. You know what you're supposed to have been doing. Just do it. Give people what they deserve and don't. You know, and it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That, I don't know how to manage that. And the key is I don't. I shouldn't. That's not my job because there's a the third part of the commandment. Walk humbly with your God, right? It's not me. It's not up to me. I don't ever have to worry about figuring out the right and the wrong. I just need to be humble before the Lord. Now, when I was sitting over here thinking about this and getting these scriptures that didn't seem to go together at all, the next place my mind went was also peculiar. I started thinking about my kids. And I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if my kids knew right from wrong? (laughs) Like right now? Right now? I mean, they're five, three, and one, almost six, four, and two. And I know, I know, that's part of my job as a parent is to raise them up in the ways that they should go. You know, but wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? I mean, I feel like my blood pressure would be in a much better place <laughs> if, my, if my little kids knew right from wrong. Like, even this morning, it was like, I'm trying to get in this place. So I'm like, okay, I'm really stressed out. You know, the terror is starting to set in. My hands are shaking a little bit because i got to get up and talk. And i got these rascal kids over here, like, Wyatt's climbing on me and pinching my face and smacking me around and, like, taking Amelia's toys. I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. You know, but they're – kids are rascals, right? And, you know, the right from wrong thing took me to this place of discipline. Remember that thing about consequences that, you know, that's part of being a parent is you discipline your children so that you can teach them right from wrong. But man, sometimes I feel like it'd be so nice if I didn't have to worry about it. And it's not always the discipline that gets me. It's the aftermath. Like when, you know, at this point after the tantrum, they're in their room and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, please, please, you know. Oh my gosh, the other day, my baby girl says, Peace, peace. And I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm, I'm in trouble because she's too cute. It's not going to be good for me. But she's like, peace. And you know, if you're a parent and you have kids, you know that it's, it could be for anything, right? Like, no, you can't just have ice cream today. Please, please. And it's like they're like so upset and they're like rending their clothes. Why, God, why? You know, we're like, no, you can't put that sharp metal object in the outlet. You can't. You just can't do it. And they throw a fit and they're like, no, what do you mean? Why? Please, daddy. You know? And it's crazy. So wouldn't it be nice if they knew right from wrong? Um, oh, you are the best. You are literally the best. Hold on. I'm up here getting thirsty already. Um, I shared this brief message when um, we were at Camp Morley this summer. I got to share with the kids one morning. So if you didn't hear this, you were playing paintball. So good choice. Um, But I was talking about how I spent about nine years of my life studying the Old Testament. I got two degrees out of it. But I really feel like since becoming a parent and having children that I know more about the Lord since that time. I just feel like I've learned so much about who God is being put in the position of being a father That it's amazing to me. It's like, forget degrees. I'm just gonna, well, no, I don't don't know where that's going. We'll stop. Um, (laughs) Just have kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I learned lots of things about my kid that particular morning we were talking about. um, Prior to that, not really understanding God's capacity to have me and his favorite person when Dean's also his favorite person. Like, how does that work? But then having kids and being like, get it. I get it. Like when little baby Wyatt was born, I'd be like, you are the best thing I've ever seen. You are perfect. You know, you are my favorite. And then when that little girl was born, that's that gets rowdy. I cried at camp. Um, I learned about, a lot about the Lord by being a parent. So I've learned a lot about the Lord. Um, so specifically in this instance, something that I've learned about myself, my kids, and about the Lord, is that I can behave just like my children. I know that about myself because I've thrown tantrums. You know, I've pled with the Lord for something. You know, like specifically in the face of tragedy when you're saying, please, Lord, please. Right? And as far as my capacity to understand right and wrong, I am so sure that there's only one right answer And when that's not it, when that's not the outcome, you know, but I begged, I pleaded. Oh, and I've thrown fits too. There was a time when I was a little bit younger. um, This involved the affections of a young lady. And when those affections weren't returned to me, I cried like a baby. Because I was for sure that's what I wanted. This is what I want, Lord, please, please. Please, and the the group, they make fun of me all the time because I've shared this story about crying in the shower. Please, this is what I want. This is right. And the Lord said no. Right? And in my capacity to understand right and wrong, that seemed like the best choice. That seemed like the only possible answer. Right? I deserve this. I should have this. This should be mine. And it wasn't. And I know, I know that just like my kids can be ruled by their emotions, that I can be ruled by my emotions too. They can control me just as much as anything else. And I can know for a fact that I'm right about something. And I can get mad at God because he's not giving me what I want. And I know that about myself. One of my um, favorite theological statements of all time comes from the great philosopher, Garth Brooks. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding. The song, he has a song called Some of God's Greatest Gifts are Unanswered Prayers. Like, what a profound statement. And I know we, you know, shh, country music. Um, But isn't that true? Because if God was giving me everything I wanted, I'd be a mess. Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, the stuff that I think I want in the moment when my emotions ruling me, aren't the things that I need to have? We're going to get this more complicated a little bit because not only is there a case of right or wrong, um, but there's more to the story than that. Um, We're going to talk about 1 Corinthians for several more um, times tonight, today, whatever's going on right now. I'm going to get a drink. So if you have a Bible and want to open to 1 Corinthians 10, I'll give you time. I love 1 Corinthians. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 10 is crazy. And I think that speaking from it, from the pulpit, is a really bad idea. So we're going to see how this goes. But 1 Corinthians is such an awesome book because it's a response. You know, the funny thing is we don't have whatever it was that precipitated this response from Paul. We don't have that. If it was a letter that they sent him or a courier that came or somebody's asking questions, we don't, we don't know that part. But we have Paul's response to them as he writes this letter to the church in Corinth, walking through all this stuff about what it means to be a Christian. So we get to infer what the questions were. And in chapter 10, they're talking about some crazy stuff that is hard to um, put in context because they're talking about people who live in their community, Who make sacrifices to you know probably Roman gods at that point, and then have meals that they share together. And what you know, what what do we do about that? So it's like there's some somebody's grilling up. They threw some meat on the grill. Paul, I went to their house. They're cooking hamburgers. It smells delicious. What do I do? And Paul goes through this whole answer about, you know, you can't commune with Jesus and commune with, you know, whatever this is. Could be good, could be bad, could be nothing, right? It's not like I'm worried about whatever idol they're offering to. Idols don't have power. I'm not stressed out about that. But then you're not communing with the Lord. So he's, he's walking through this answer. And then at some point during the question that Paul received, somebody has an additional question, See, they had gotten the message. They had, you know, they get messages and people come through and preach all the time. Some preacher or something that had come through Corinth gave this message about grace. They got the grace message. And so they're asking Paul about it because Paul quotes them. He says, um, something awesome. He says, all things are lawful. And that's what the person asked him. Right, Paul? All things are lawful. Right, I can do this, right? I can eat this burger, right? Because all things are lawful. So they're trying to figure out a way to get it because that cheeseburger that their buddies are eating looks really, really good. Paul gives this crazy response. He says, um, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising questions on the ground of conscience. He's like, I don't care what you eat. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to, go. Eat whatever is set before you without raising question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, right? He's like, go, eat, eat some cheeseburgers. Go have your cheeseburger. But if somebody comes out and they say, hey, I sacrificed this to Jupiter, and this has power, then you probably shouldn't eat it. Right? And he says, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not worried about you. He said, I'm worried about them. Because what are you telling them if you're participating in this thing? What are you communicating to them? Um, Eugene Peterson, do you guys know who that is? Um, he wrote the Message Bible. He does such a good job, doesn't he? So this is what he says. If I can find it. He says, looking at it one way, you could say anything goes because of God's immense generosity and grace. We don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see that we'll pass the muster. But the point is not just to get by. We want to live well, and we want to, and our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. So, not only do we have this, you know, capacity to try and discern right and wrong, but also God's best in the midst of that right, wrong. You know, there's okay, but then there's God's best for you. There are times when I'm super, super thankful about that experience when I spent crying in the shower because a young lady's affections were not returned to me. Because the next time I faced that situation, it was different. And her affections were returned to me, even with, I love you. You know, but I was in a position where I was able to say, is this God's best for me? And to ask, Lord, is this, is this the best that you have me? You know, because the, the last girl who I was crying about, I forget what my mom's first response was, but it was like, oh, oh, thankfully you don't have to marry that girl. <laughs> so my mom was thrilled. Because um, she knew, right? She wondered what was best for me, and she knew that that wasn't it. But this time, like, I had somewhere along the way gleaned enough wisdom to know to ask God, is this your best for me? And the answer was no. Door shot. Came home and I think within two weeks, I started dating this sweet Canadian girl. And we were telling people they're getting married on April Fool's Day. And they thought it was a joke about green cards, but it really wasn't. You know, because that was God's best for me. And it was right there. But I was put in this position where I got to kind of work through that, right? Work through that process and figure out, because it wasn't a question of right and wrong at that point, but what's the best for me? What's God's best for me? And I know, God, I know that's hard, for me at least, you know? I, I know it's hard to examine situations and pull out what's God's best, in this because so often I'm worried about what my preferences are right is this going to be comfortable for me because if so like maybe that's what I want to do this is uncomfortable I'm not so interested in that but maybe you know and it's hard and I know that I can act like my kids in the midst of situations that I can cry like a baby and whine and throw tantrums and want something because it's shiny and nice or, you know, whatever it is that I'm looking for that that thing provides and that's what I want, but it's not God's best for me. Paul says later on um, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, super interesting, I love love it, because, you know, in, in chapter 13, which is the the chapter that we always hear at weddings, love is patient, love is kind. Because Paul's setting up, they're, they're asking Paul, the question to Paul is, which one of us have the better spiritual gift? Right, there's a couple people in the church and like one of them's prophesying and one of them's speaking in tongues and they want to know who's better. Like that's the question that Paul got. And his response is, you know, clanging bells and cymbals and if you're not loving, it doesn't matter. Right, <laughs> so that's the, that's the setup. Right, he goes through the, all this chapter thirteen, love is patient, love is kind, to get to fourteen, where he's walking through like the the details of you know them being worried about who's better, and in the middle of that, he's like, don't think like children, don't have a childlike mind, which is super interesting to me, because I know that I can, I know that I can have a childlike mind. But Paul's exhorting us not to. He says, Don't. Don't be childlike in your thinking, he says. Um, Earlier in in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about, um, you know, he's just setting the stage for this letter and all this stuff that's going to come after the stuff about eating idols and the stuff about prophesying and spiritual gifts and loving people. And he starts in with saying, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And then he quotes um, quotes a prophet saying, for who understands the mind of the Lord? And his answer is, we do. He says, we have the mind of Christ right? As he introduces like, dear church in Corinth, get your acts together, stop being like children. We have the mind of Christ. And I just, you know, I I can't help more and more think about how much I need that. You know, how much I need to move beyond whatever it is that emotionally drives me. And I, I think this is just... You know, getting older, right? Things matter more. Consequences are more severe. You're becoming a parent, right? I, I, I need to. I need this for my kids. Like, <laughs> so oh my gosh, because I, you know, as you probably know, it's easy to be ruled by your emotions when you're dealing with young children, <laughs> right? Especially when it comes to discipline them, or, you know. The seventh time in a row that Wyatt's touched his sister. And it's just stop touching your sister. You know? And I'm all of a sudden ruled by my emotions. I need to get like a covenantal relationship with my kids. You know, I say that in jest, but in all seriousness. Like, I am your dad. You are my child. If you touch your sister, this is going to happen. (sighs) You know, maybe that's the mind of Christ for my kids. We need to work on that. I'll make some notes. Are you taking notes? Yeah, Christy's taking notes. Good. All right. Um, but we need this, right? And not just for our families, for our workplaces, for our friends. I mean, there's this little, there's this little thing happening on a, a Tuesday early in November that I desperately need the mind of Christ about. I'm not going to go any farther than that because I don't, you know. But I I, I don't want to be ruled by my emotions. That's a decision for me that I need the Lord Involved in. Um, You know, and it's not like our, I was going to say our world, but it's not like our country's getting any better. Right? It's not like our world's becoming a a nicer place to be. You know, I wear wear the youth group out singing, um, For the Sake of the World, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think Kirsten's tired of singing it, but but we rock at it. We're so good. But for the sake of the world, Lord, light a fire in me. Because I realize so much how the, Lord, how the world needs this. Right? So at that point, this is something bigger than me. This is something bigger than me wanting to take care of my family. This is something that the world needs. Right? The world needs the mind of Christ. Earlier in this um, part in 1 Corinthians chapter two, Paul points out, the rulers of this day, they have no idea about the mind of Christ. They don't know. I mean, he was specifically talking about his time, but it seems appropriate. <laughs> right? So they need it. We need it. So how do we get it? Isn't that the funny thing? We have it. Right? Paul said we have it. But we need it. Still, I don't... So here's here's um, two points that I'll make. One is the first step is realizing we need it. Right? I, I, I need to pursue this. And then we already have the answer. Because it's what Micah told the people of... Israel, because they were so confused about what they were doing with the Lord, right? And he sets it up with, do justice and love mercy, but you need to walk humbly with your God, right? Without the ability to be humble in front of the Lord, I I, I don't know that the mind of Christ is going to prevail within us. So I don't know what... um. I don't know who has what situations, who has what going on. And maybe it's just corporately, right? That we need to be a place where we know Christ's mind. Right? So I don't know if anybody um, is in a position where they need to give up something, give up control of a situation, give up control over their emotions, um. But I, I know I know I do. I know I need to be humble in this because I feel like I can't afford not to be. Right? I don't want to put I don't wanna put the the future of my kids on the back of just me, right? When I know, when I know, because Paul told me that I have the mind of Christ. Right? So why would I poo-poo that? I, I almost made it, guys, without making a poop joke. <laughs> I told Christy, I told Christy I was like, that was going to be the big difference between this morning and like youth group. And it didn't happen. I'm sorry. (sighs) Like, why, why would I try that? Why would I not want that? It's there. It's mine. Right. We were talking this morning about, um, you know, what, what the Lord has given us. We're princes and princesses in the kingdom. And so often we squander our inheritance and what the wrong time to do it, right? When it comes to right and wrong, because we feel like we know what's best. Wouldn't you rather trust the Lord in that? And I'm totally speaking to myself. So if you're like, don't talk to me like that. I'm not. It's all, all right. I'm happy to, happy to have this message be for me. And then if anybody else wants to pick up on it, that'd be cool too. So do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with god. Right? So dear lord, I just um Lord, whatever whatever I got, lord, I want to give it up to you. Lord, I want to give up my selfishness. Lord, and just because I'm an adult, that doesn't mean that I'm the end all. Father, I want to surrender my thinking to you. And all things, lord, I want your mind. I want your mind for how I treat my kids, for what I do in my job, for how I pursue life. Because, God, the answer is not just getting by. Nobody wants that. The answer is to live well and to help others live well. So, Father, bless that. You know, if I don't, if, you know, I don't know what the, what the ratio is of, like, my kids' capacity to understand right and wrong to my capacity to understand right and wrong. I mean, there's a gap, right? That you kind of, you work your way up as you're getting older. But I know that wherever I am, I mean, the Lord's up there someplace, right? And I feel like post-enlightenment, sorry, I'm talking about history, we got to this place as people where we're like, I know, I I, I have self-realization now. I'm so smart, I can figure this out on my own because I can do math and study philosophy. Like we got, we got that place, especially as a culture. And since then, like we lean on our own understanding for things when we approach how to accomplish tasks or how to raise our kids or how to deal with our spouses, and we either fall back on our emotions or, or we decide like this is the right thing in this situation. Lord, I would rather have your right thing in this situation. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. Well, let me release this thing. Today's about surrender, right? I'm at least that's what I'm picking up on all during worship. You know, this letting the Holy Spirit in, opening the door in a place of need and weakness. And this is it. Right. And then walking humbly with the Lord and trusting him and pushing into him and leaning into him. So let's stand up. I want to pray and release. I just stepped on this while I was pushing it. It's like when you accidentally walk into a door that's locked. This the guy got me right in the gut. All right, let me really-